0: Welcome in, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please give us a rating or a review wherever you found us, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify. You can subscribe at all of those places. Share this with your friends wherever you found it. Again, we'd love to have them as a member of our Group And I'd also love to remind you that our podcast host, Podiant, is offering all of our listeners a 14-day free trial of their premium services and 25% off your first three months of a premium membership. All you got to do is sign up using the offer code LONGHORN. That's P-O-D-I-A-N-T dot C-O. Sign up using the offer code LONGHORN. Well, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who is already moving to ban Lime Scooters on campus, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Oh
1: man, I'm doing all right, all right, all right. Kemosabi. you know, good things happening here this week. Now, uh, <clears throat> I am uh, I am doing more than all right, uh, doing well. I am post surgery recovered. Hopefully, you're hearing the dulcet tones of uh, uh, of my voice without any uh, any any uh, nasal implications in it. So I am I'm excited, firing on most of all cylinders, and uh, ready to jump in. Man, how are you?
0: I'm good. I mean, other than again the weird. Injury baseball news that uh, lime-related injuries or not lime. Yeah. I'm sorry for singling out a brand. Electric, yeah, it could be bird,
1: could be lime, could be anything.
0: There's a third brand that I'm unaware of, but those are the two that I have apps for on my phone.
1: If they will sponsor us, we will name whichever the third is. Uh, hit us up.
0: Lime is always parked out of my favorite little brunch spot, so that's the one I'm the most familiar with. But that's either here nor there. So baseball players be, uh, being hurt on scooters notwithstanding. Uh, we've got some good stuff for you this week. Texas improved to 6-1 and one for the school year over OU this week with a convincing-ish basketball win. The women's team bounced back from their only loss – Of Big 12 play thus far and then we'll obviously talk some football we've got some quarterback drama that exploded on the internet and the early enrollees are on campus so let's talk about what the future holds for them we'll obviously then close the show out with some bang the drum Kyle it's 905 at the time of recording I
1: know you still suck
0: yes so the Texas men's basketball team went into a home matchup against the Oklahoma Sooners that were ranked number 19 at the time and managed to come away with a 75 to 72 victory in that contest now Texas did have a much larger lead at halftime or a much more uh, we'll call it much more convincing lead the the numbers may not have been uh, as lopsided but It definitely felt like Texas was way more in control than it turned out they were. Big night from all the starters, save for one. So, Kyle, what... After three really disappointing games, like what was different uh, against OU to for Texas to to kind of snap the streak?
1: Well, you know, time is a is a flat circle, in other things a flat circle. is that hoop ring up there; you just put the ball through it, and uh, you know, no, I'm not, not going to do any more really bad McConaughey. I promise. That's what you were doing? Yeah, I think I was trying. Uh, it may have just been that the minister of culture was on hand to get the crowd in the bench. Uh, and everyone else just a little bit extra zing in this game it helps obviously to have your historic rival um, in the building but it it was it was a Texas home game that had some energy I loved it Um, I mean there's some there's some like just basic things that went right for Texas that should be relatively replicable Um, they got to the free throw line and they made their free throws Um, that's basically to me what was the difference in a a close game Um, they hit you know some some late game free throws to kind of to skirt it out while OU tried to uh, tried to be a fly in the pudding, um, and it was kind of across the board. Everyone shot fairly well. Um, you know that's been a huge jump for this team this year. Um, I mean, I, I think there's something. Ridiculous, like a hundred spots higher right now in free throw percentage than they were last year. So, I mean, credit the coaching staff; they clearly made it um, a point of of emphasis, um, and and it's been paying off. And then, like you said, I think most of the the seniors, the 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 old heads, the guys who uh, it's always funny to say old heads about twenty two year olds, but the uh, the <laughs> dudes who who we've come to know and love um, stepped up. I mean, I think Kerwin Roach, after admitting he was the Uh, The reason that, you know, the last play didn't work against Kansas for a potentially, you know, signature marquee uh, victory came out and and atoned um, because he may be a knucklehead, but by God, he's our knucklehead. He came out and atoned uh, in a big way. He was kind of our our best three-point shooter and um, for the most part, played really good defense. He had a couple lapses, but for the most part, you know, kind of showed some of what we saw last year and, and, you know, put up. Anytime you come out with twenty plus points, um, you know from from him, like we said that that goes a long way in determining how good on any given night the team can be.
0: Yeah, and I think the the thing that, one that you mentioned is there was actually a home like a home court advantage going on. Uh, it was the second highest attended game of the year. I know the Texas Tech fans like came down from Lubbock and droves, which is why that was like the weird. It's at like it's the high water mark for the year. Uh, that really embarrassing loss, but we all were watching that game and know how weird that environment was. So, but when Texas actually has a home court advantage, oh my gosh, they're able to win games. Oh my gosh, <laughs> like that's yeah. craziness. Uh, but no, I think it's hard to lose a game when four of your five starters go for fifteen plus. It's real mm-hmm. if if you can lose that game then you are a special kind of something. So, I mean, we talked about Snoop 23 and eight incredible game. Dylan O had probably his best game of the season. I can't think of a better game than, than what, especially rebounding from that, that terrible performance against Kansas Um, 15 and 11. Like when Dylan O is able to play big down low and, and we've said it, the Kansas game disproved that when Texas can knock down its threes, it's automatically going to win. But, I think this game proves that when Texas is able to play inside out where the bigs are able to be a legitimate threat in the paint, which we saw in this game, mean, Texas scored what like 34 points in the paint, like, that's that's a big number. And so when you have to respect the bigs down low, there are going to be better looks on the perimeter.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, and the funny thing is, in that Kansas game, we kept saying, you know, Dylan O would get the spots, he'd get the rebounds, he'd get in position, he would just missing bunnies. Uh, he was 5-7 from two in this game. He kind of converted the way he should have. Um, and, and he held Brady manick who's OU's kind of, Biggest threat on the inside, um, especially in the second half, um, pretty quiet. And and you know, OU is a, is a really good team, surely. Um, but they are a bit of if you take Manic out, they're a bit of a one um, one kind of trick pony. Christian James being obviously their best player, but I, I think Manic is you know probably their most important because he gives them their second scoring and gives them their inside presence. So, um, Dylan, o, not only having a good offensive night, also had a pretty good, uh, defensive night, uh, as well to go with, you know, the, the rebounds. I think he had two steals and everything just, uh, you know, a, a pretty good, pretty good game. Like we said from him, uh, the other guy, we talked about the old heads. I think Jackson Haynes is starting to look Sadly, a little more like a like a a one year rental, um, a one and done, which, you know, I, I hoped somehow we could just like only talk about him on this podcast and no one else in the country would notice. Um, but I think people are noticing. I've seen mock drafts with him in the top 15 now, and uh, he's good on both ends of the floor. I think he uh, I think he was four, four from the floor and seven of eight from the line. So uh, his offense is is where it should be. Um, for a guy who's 18 and and still growing and and you know figuring out his body his athleticism is off the charts um he's he's kind of doing some of the, the smart things that come with playing a little bit more and kind of getting the rebounds getting in the right spot anticipating when to jump um he does that a little bit more and he's all of a sudden going to be putting up double doubles you know every night with no question and then you know six seven blocks to go with it which is which is top 10 numbers so the one thing for him is just foul problems, you know, channeling that aggression.
0: And I think some of his foul problems are inflated because of the level that that we're playing at. I think the college level, they they you get away with less down in the paint, especially defensively. And so I think his his foul troubles. I don't want to say they're overstated or they're they're in anything like that because he's he fouled out against Kansas. Part of the I think reason why Texas struggled. In the stretch run, he did not play a ton in that game. And he had 4,000 in this game, nearly fouled out against OU. So, I think that you can't say anything otherwise. But I think a lot of his yeah. fouls are touch fouls. I think a lot of his fouls are fouls that you get away with in the league. And, and granted, we're not in the league, but he probably will be within 365 days of now. So... It's it's hard to really fault him for that. Obviously, he's an 18-year-old kid. He's a developmental prospect. But a guy that can score like that and a big that can hit free throws is not a new thing in the league, but it's still a thing that's very, very valuable.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. And, I mean, I think you're spot on with, with, with him You know about that. The other guy who I'm kind of proud to see because we expected one thing from him and we haven't necessarily got that. And I think Jackson Haynes has sword past him as Jericho Sims. Um, he could just be a cancer on the team. You know, you're the kid who's supposed to be the big promise. You're the one everyone's looking towards. Kudos to him for coming in, bringing his lunch pail, working hard, you know, clearly taking kind of that second fiddle um, role. Um, not, I don't know, not in a bad way, but Jackson Haynes clearly is kind of the, the more electric of the two right now. Um, but, you know he's he's getting some more minutes as as they they trust what he's doing on both ends and he's given good energy so um, they're going to need that their defense you know is still um, elite it's still top twenty five but you know the past two games obviously against a really good OU team and a very very good Kansas team they've they've given up you know some points so TCU is no slouch either so it's going to be kind of interesting here um, you know we have lost four straight in in Fort Worth in basketball the color purple is, is a curse is a jinx across the, the 40 acres. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how, how Texas can take the momentum of this one and what this says about where we are in the season. You know, we, we, we said after the Kansas game, wow, you know, would have been great to win that one, but you're right there in the conversation. It just shows the frustrating part of the consistency is the thing that's needed. Um, we'll see it you know here's the chance to go go prove it against another really really good team in this um obviously ultra competitive big 12.
0: Yeah and I think back on Jackson Hayes not to beat this dead horse too much but I think it's just incredible that we weren't really talking about him as like the big time contributor this time a year ago when Texas was kind of cinching up the talk was of Ramey and Liddell and and Hepa and Hayes has kind of Mm -hmm. burst onto the scene so that's I mean I'm I'm glad but yeah I think it's Texas has got to find a way to claw its way back in. You've got to win the ones that you're supposed to. And you're going to have to win another one that you're not supposed to. So OU, as it stands right now, is technically one that they weren't supposed to, even though uh, it may not be as impressive of a win when you really dial in and, and pull the microscope out on it
1: yeah it's it's one of those things you come away feeling you obviously like i said you want to beat OU, you you want to beat teams that you know you have mutual hatred uh and a tiny bit of respect for but uh, you want to win those games at, at any time but you hope that that doesn't get anyone feeling a little comfortable because there's still work to be done. Like I said, TCU is in the others receiving votes. They're, they're probably really a top 25 team, so um, that's going to be a tough one. But but OU kind of had a tough week coming into this, although they started just red hot uh, to come into this season. They, they have had... Um, basically, in 2019, a pretty rough go of it. Uh, they lost to Kansas, which there's no shame in that in, in Lawrence. They uh, did beat Oklahoma State, but Oklahoma State, even though they beat Texas, is, is probably one of the worst teams in the in the Big 12. But again, a, a dangerous team because the Big 12 is all the way dangerous. But then immediately coming in, they lost to Tech, um, squeaked by TCU just by 76-74 score. And then immediately, the three days before, uh, UT lost pretty sizably to Kansas State, they lost by uh, 13 or no yeah 13 to Kansas State. So like I said, it may be a fact that teams are figuring out how to um, slow down. Oklahoma, which is again, a kind of a Christian James offense right now. Um, Brady Manic, you know, is the only other player averaging double digits on that team. So uh, I don't, I don't know what the OU you know season is going to look like. I don't want people to feel like we turned a corner though, because we played you know everything but two or three possessions against Kansas away from beating them, and then immediately beat a top twenty-five OU team and say everything is fixed. I hope I'm wrong, but I just, you know, have that little bit of pause to say, you know, our basketball team is exactly where we want it to be.
0: Yeah, and I, th- and I think, and this is, Lon Kruger has been great for OU, but Lon Kruger feels like a coach that when you figure him out, he doesn't know what to do. I mean, we saw it a year mm-hmm. ago with Trey Young. Like, nobody knew what to do with Trey Young, and then when everybody figured out what to do with Trey Young, OU kind of folded. And so, I, I wonder if we're at that point in the season right now where Lon Kruger's kind of out of, I don't know what to do. Uh, We'll figure it out, but I I don't know what to do, and they never really figure it out. Uh, So like you said, Texas uh, has an opportunity to win back-to-back games for the second time and, and take a... I guess have a winning record in the big 12 for the first time since that three game losing streak. They got to win at TCU in the basketball version of the Del Conte bowl. We'll see what it looks like. That'll be on Wednesday and then they'll suit it back up again on Saturday. On the women's side of things, the ladies, we were talking them up, talking them up saying they shouldn't lose a conference game. And then they go to Kansas state and just get the doors blown off. Uh, 87 to 69 which is not good. Yeah. Not not great. Um they they just kind of had one of those games where you shoot, you know, 35% from the floor and a half and things just kind of snowball from there. I mean, when you're down, you know, 20 points in the first half it's almost impossible to to make that up at any point in the game you kind of just play catch up but they were able to bounce back uh came home and put it on tcu with a 73 to 67 win to try to right the ship they improve to five and one in the conference so kyle you and i have dissected and looked at these women's basketball games like what that that game against kansas state was kind of an aberration right
1: yeah, I mean Kansas State just got on on them early and 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 never let go of that bone. They were like you know a, a bulldog there. They just they they just never gave it up. UT made a couple of runs. They came right out of half and kind of cut. What was it like a twenty point? lead they went on a seven zero run you're like okay maybe maybe it's a tale of two halves but uh, UT you know had two players kind of go off uh, Suge Sutton and, and Danny Williams both uh, had, had Sutton at 22 and Williams at 18 but the, the rest of the supporting cast Joyner Holmes in single digits um, Jatari White in single digits you know I don't know if it was just a factor of a couple girls off on on a particular night you know it wasn't their night it was kansas state's night you know it's in manhattan we've, we've said in every sport that's a terrible awful thing to have to do any day of the week um you know but uh yeah it, it's it's one of those things i wouldn't put too too much stock in but you know a wednesday night game in manhattan kansas is, is going to be tough um kansas state just because they're kansas state's We'll get our number sometimes because I hate them so much. Uh, and they just find a way to do it in all kinds of sports. But at least they had the, the purple clapback against TCU. Um, and so, like I said, I, I think similar to the men, the women obviously have much more consistency there on a seven-game win streak before that loss. But, um, you know, they, they have a little bit more to prove because they should be winning these games. I mean, they have Baylor. They, they've already beat Iowa State. You know, but they, they have... Um, a couple big games to to kind of get to and you hope they win at least you know 90% of of these types of of which should be uh, on paper games where they're the the more talented team.
0: Yeah, should should is the operative word there. Again, weird things happen when you go to the little apple. Uh, they I mean, I'm trying to like look other than the field goal percentage like they didn't play too, too poor of a game. I mean, 14 turnovers is kind of a high number, but Kansas State turned it over 10 times. Like, that's not, like, I mean, that's eight points. That's not really going to make up a 20-point deficit. So, like, there's just...
1: Kansas shot 58% from three. I mean, that's like, that's, you know, WNBA, you know, that's unreal numbers. So, I mean, it's one of those games, I think. They shot...
0: Eighty-three percent from three-point in the second half. They made five of their six attempts in the second half. So that's yeah. that's yeah. going to win you some ball games. So the ladies back in action on uh, uh, this weekend against the uh, the Kansas Jayhawks. Right this week against the Kansas Jayhawks on Wednesday. You can check that out on Longhorn Network. And then Saturday they'll be at Texas Tech. You can check that out on pay per view, or you can just assume that the women beat them to death. <laughs> But let's move on to some football news. There was some uh some controversy that happened over the week. So over Twitter, things just seemed to blow up. And so we knew that Cam Rising and and uh, Casey Thompson had both entered their name into the transfer portal and the drama escalated because students were supposed to report to class tomorrow. And so they're trying to figure out, will those guys be on campus? And reports started surfacing that Cam Rising would not be on campus. Uh, And then we saw on Twitter that Cam Rising was indeed enrolling at the University of Utah. He will be a quarterback there. Hadn't had word from Casey Thompson. Casey Thompson came out and said, nobody knows. I haven't told anybody yet. And then finally announced that he would be returning for his, uh, his what would be his redshirt freshman year being the backup, presumably now because Shane Bouchelle has given indication to people, according to reports, that he will be graduate transferring at the end of the year with two years of eligibility left becoming a hot, hot target on the transfer market, meaning that at the start of the 2019 football season, your quarterback depth chart will look like Sam Ellinger, Casey Thompson, true freshman Rashawn Johnson, and a preferred walk-on three-star from Austin High. So that is an interesting look. So do are fans right to be panicking about the quarterback situation, or are we hitting the panic button a little too soon?
1: I mean, it's, it, it's tough, right? If you would have told someone 10 years ago just this – transfer business being a part of college football they wouldn't believe you I mean obviously there's been rule changes and things to to make it so and especially at that kind of we've talked about it. the quarterback position the type of mentality you have to be to be a very good quarterback is that you are the best person to ever play the position there's a certain arrogance that goes into wanting to be the guy who takes the ball every time and do that you know at the collegiate or or the next even um level so it's you know I get it it's going to happen. I don't think they're in a terrible spot. Um, I think you're always going to have this. This is the new way of football. You're going to have this, and you, you see it across the country. Um, you know, it's tough because um, Cam Rising was a guy we both really, really liked. we really high on. You know, I am multiple times kind of joking, um, but somewhat serious, said that, you know, Rising may have been the most talented quarterback on the 40 acres this year. Um, you know, I, I think the things he can do are maybe a different style. I think for him it's it's not, you know, hey, Sam Ellinger's here, I, I will never play. That's probably more of, hey, if Sam Ellinger, if that's the type of offense we're running that, you know, he's going to put his shoulder down and, and, and maul people, I really like to stay clean. I like to – I have a couple moves in the pocket, but they're mainly moves to shake people off so that I can, you know, sling the ball 60 yards down the field. And I was excited to see – what Beck and Herman did with, with Rising, and I think, you know, it wouldn't have been necessarily the same offense, but there is a history in Tom Herman offenses that the quarterback is going to get used, and so I think that slots in very well for both uh, Thompson and and Roshan. I think both of those guys um, are going to come in and be, you know, the types of quarterbacks that fit historically the system that the coaches at UT have run.
0: Yeah, and I think the the Rising deal, I mean, the reports are that his biggest concern was like, Hey, you ran the quarterback 140 times this last year. That's not really my game. And I'm never going to fault a kid for that. Never in a million years am I going to fault a kid for that. Uh, Do I wish he was still on the 40 acres? Yeah. Incredible talent, incredible mustache, like come back. But I don't, I'm not going to fault the kid for putting himself in a position that he can win. I think the, the, I am, I'm not panicking. I'm nervous, Casey Thompson hasn't had a collegiate snap. Casey Thompson is also the Kyler Murray high school career of Oklahoma. Whereas Mm -hmm. Kyler Murray is without question. And I'm going to say this as someone who vocally hates Kyler Murray is the greatest high school football player to ever play in the state of Texas. Like I cannot say that. And Casey Thompson is that in the state of Oklahoma. He owns the career yardage record. In the toughest district in Oklahoma, like that kid played in the toughest district in Oklahoma. I covered that district for three years. It is incredibly tough, so it's it's hard to argue with a kid who's had proven results. Now again, hasn't had a snap before, and I think people are kind of sleeping on Roshan. Like I think he's going to be a guy that can come in and he's going to push. Now I don't. I I would much rather see him redshirt. Don't get me wrong. I do not want to see him coming in and being the guy when sam ellinger gets dinged up because he probably will get dinged up because it's sam ellinger and that's how he plays the game with reckless abandon but i think when you look at who is there i i can't i'm nervous but i'm not worried
1: yeah and, and and i think you know sam the 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 other quarterback the preferred walk on we have is a three star he's a kid who who you know could have played a lot of places chose to be a preferred walk on his name is sam his name is actually sam sexton uh so I'm just gonna say we got four there but uh, you know that's actually a pretty big pickup just for for depth here until you know obviously the 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 expectation is that in the next class we have hudson card as a as a kind of early vocal um you know, Die Hard Longhorn, which is which is fantastic. So we're kind of keeping that. Uh, talent pipeline going, but you know you have to keep getting the guys on campus. You just have to because you never know things can happen. I mean, like I said, uh, I will maybe take some of the the credit for or I guess blame for uh, rising. You know, I per, I prefer to spell mustache the uh, the uh, European way with an e on the end, and in the same way, uh, you know, maybe because of that, uh, rising decided that he was going to take UT and add an e on the end to become a Ute. So um, that's just a that's a well well scripted wow. joke there. You,
0: took that really really far
1: <laughs> but uh, but no I mean like I said I, I think you have two young hungry guys behind you know a very obviously entrenched quarterback who you know that's a good position to be in they can learn they can take time to develop you saw it this year unless you know he got dinged up some but otherwise the third string guys never took a snap even Bouchelle didn't take very many snaps and in Ellinger I think the it's a little bit you know he does play physical and there is a chance he's going to get hurt but I don't think it's a guarantee that you know he's going to get knocked out of two games every year um there's obviously that possibility but when he's there he's not giving the ball up you know and I, and I do think that you know some of that was to save the red shirts for the for the other guys and everything but I, you know I think he will play a majority of the snaps and that's actually great for both of those those young quarterbacks
0: yeah and I think there is a mean I think there's something to be said about the fact that we knew this was going to happen. Like we knew this was going to happen. Everybody When we knew, got both of them. Yeah. When you when you sign both of those guys, if one of the quarterbacks pops, the other one's transferring. Like that mm-hmm. we knew that. We you and I thought it would be the other way around where it'd be Thompson transferring and Rising sticking, but but that's fine. Again, Rising feels like he can do better in Utah's offense. And now I don't think that the guy that used to be the offensive coordinator, I believe Michigan State, is going to do much for you as a passer, but that's neither here nor <laughs> there. Um, it's just, <laughs> we, we knew this was going to happen. Like at the start of the year, we were like, hey, one of these quarterbacks is going to transfer as a freshman. And if Bouchelle gets beat out, he's also going to transfer. Like, we knew this was going to happen. So I think we just, we just need to pump the brakes a little bit. Again, Roshan will be there for – he's already there on campus for – He's going to be there for spring practice and all these fall conditioning. He's already there on campus, moved in. They moved him, I believe, last Thursday or Friday. Nine, actually, of Texas's uh, 2019 class is on campus right now. Uh, Johnson being one of them. Jordan Whittington, favorite fan of the show. Tight end Jared Wiley, one of my personal favorites of the class, tackle Tyler Johnson. We've got Peter Pudgy, DeGabriel Floyd, Marcus Tillman, and then two Juco guys, uh, defensive end Jacoby Jones, and linebacker Caleb Johnson are all on campus, already moved in, ready for classes to start. At the time, most of you were listening to this podcast on Tuesday morning. So of those guys, Kyle, just to kind of make an easy transition, who do you think is going to have the biggest impact when the 2019 season rolls around?
1: Oh, man, I think I look at that linebacking group and I look at, um, you know, to Gabriel, Gabriel Floyd and uh, and Caleb Johnson right there as, as a guy who's just a monster as an 18 year old. And the guy who, you know, um, has, has a little bit of Juco experience, still has a couple years of eligibility. Um, but, you know, just two guys who are going to contribute. There's no doubt about it. One or two. Most likely, I would actually be surprised if not both of them will contribute. Um, I think we're both really high on DeGabriel Floyd in the in the talent that he has. Again, exactly how quickly you pick up the college game, you know, to be seen. I think Caleb Johnson is such a um, such a plug and play. He's ready to come in and, and just start taking snaps. So I I kind of lean towards him, um, but again, I, I can't really pick between those because I really foresee a season where where. You got, you know, uh, twelve sacks between those two guys, and and something like one hundred and thirty tackles. You know,
0: yeah, I, mean, I I can't argue with either of those guys. Linebacker is a position in need. I I am thinking more. I am um, interested to see what Jacoby Jones brings to the table, simply because one, um, we he's an OU flip, which always feels good. Uh, always love seeing those OU guys. But I also think he's a he seems like a guy that can come in and contribute from day one. And defensive end is a big question mark. There, there's a ton of talent, but there are zero guys that have really proven much uh, at the defensive end position. Now, there are some guys that have come in and flashed, but is there anybody that can give you 13, 14 Fingers crossed, fifteen games of production. I thought you
1: were gonna say sacks. I was I was about to no. I was about to, you know, try to take my sweater off. It's getting spicy in your opening no. okay game. Who can give okay. you consistent okay.
0: production across fifteen games uh, for a season? Like we haven't seen that. And obviously Texas hasn't played fifteen games ever, so we wouldn't see that. But I mean 13, 14 games is a is a realistic expectation for this team for the foreseeable future.
1: Absolutely. And, and then obviously, you know, just the talent on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, I think Wiley's a more developmental project, but, but Whittington coming in right away, um, you know, we, we've, Said it in our kind of preview and, and I'm sure once spring rolls around we'll, we'll have a better idea but you know especially him enrolling early I think he has a chance to to fight for what will I think be a committee who takes uh, little Jordan Humphreys kind of snaps uh and be one of those faces that gets in and, and you know from from week one in certain situations uh and and you know like we've seen he can be electric uh once he gets the ball in his hand so uh I, he's another one obviously you just have to be excited for
0: you're talking about Jared Wiley as a development The guy has basically played what one year of tight end. He was a quarterback all up until uh, the last couple of years. So obviously he's going to be a developmental prospect, but the guy has the body and, and the, you know, obviously we're playing quarterback. You got the brain for it. Um, And, and Whittington is a guy that we both have said before, and you've already said it today. I just want to feel good about it. uh, That, he's a guy that can come in and play from day one, especially now that we don't know who's going to play that slot position with Lil' Jordan Humphrey gone. And I'm Tyler Johnson. I said it in our kind of signing day wrap up. He looks like a guy that could be a day one starter. He's got the body. He's got the attitude for it. I love the way he run blocks. If you watch his film, he uses his body really, really well to kind of position himself between the defenders and the ball carriers, which is a a good thing to see. It's a thing that a lot of guys his size, especially when they're playing against not-so-good talent, just rely on their ability to be bigger than the guy across from them. And so he uses his body really well, and that's impressive to see in a kid that hasn't really been forced to do that uh, based on the competition.
1: And and we'll just kind of wrap it there but the final thing about him specifically is if, if you're right if he is a day one starter, like he has the potential to be it is because and this is such a, a wonderful thing to to say it is because he's earned it because he's that good it's not because of necessity i mean there is so many the red the four red shirt guys the returning starts there's so much um, depth on this on this line that we're not looking at the next hot uh 18-year-old prospect offensive lineman and saying how quickly can we get him in there if he's playing day 1 it's because he's the monster that we you know think he can be in and in his tape might indicate but again that's such a such a you know drastically different set of expectations and drastically different scenario so i hope you're right because that means he's real good
0: i and i think he is maybe maybe i'm just drinking the tyler johnson Kool-Aid but i am a Big, big fan. So moving on quickly uh, to tennis. The men's tennis team uh, started its second season of the year. The way tennis seasons work is weird, but whatever. So they downed the uh, Southern Methodist Mustang 6-1 to one to move to 2-0 and o on the season. Um, basically, Texas dominated. There's no other way to really say that. Uh, the ladies all were in action as well. So the number 6 ranked women's team uh, led by Petra granite Gra- granite mm-hmm. granite it's yeah Probably it's the one of those wrong. world
1: cup names i think it's Greenwich.
0: yeah it's perfect uh led the team to a win she won the singles title at the freeman memorial tournament uh she defeated uh a player from pepperdine whose name i'm not even gonna try to pronounce because <laughs> it's got way too many consonants next to each other uh but the the tennis team is often running in their again their second season of the year because Kyle let's just let's just go ahead and say it like Texas is finally back to being the multi-sport dominant school led by the football program. Texas is officially back, right? Oh yeah.
1: All the teams that are playing now, you know, uh, men's basketball is not ranked yet. We'll get there. Um, but are effectively ranked women's basketball, obviously in the top 15, both of these are top 10 teams. Um, you know, baseball will be coming up with, with a number next to their name that will get smaller as the year goes on. Um, softball is going to be dangerous this year, especially with the new coach coming in. So, um, This is it, man. Chris Delcate picked a pretty good time because he got football going and everything else was just ready to fall into place uh, with obviously a a ton of talent in all of our sports. So, um, you know, this this is not a Longhorn football podcast. We are uh, a Longhorn sports podcast, and so we like to give a little shout to all of the tremendous student-athletes across the 40 Acres, and we're crushing it all over.
0: Continue. In Texas, most valuable... uh sports program in the NCAAs by uh, about half a billion dollars, $500 million, basically. So, worth $1.1 billion, which is just... Incredible, But that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this? Well, I
1: didn't know where to squeeze it in, so I'm half banging the drum just on a welcome. I love little. I'm a younger brother myself. I love when the younger brother comes to the 40 acres. Uh, In this case, it's Jake. Ellinger, maybe you've heard that last name, I was saying that right, Ellinger, Ellinger, El- I haven't seen that one before. No, that's Sam Ellinger's little brother.
0: All- that's, right.
1: <laughs> that's Sam Ellinger's little brother, Jake Ellinger, um, you know, who, as we know, uh, will bring a, a healthy heaping of moxie and underratedness as a two-star linebacker who was actually All-State and had like 100-plus tackles and, and, you know, had a really productive year um, but didn't get the ranking, and so, you know, just screams, just screams that if we reinstate an a rivalry, he'll be the one. To uh, to derp uh, all over them, so can't wait to see what uh, both Ellingers <laughs> bring to the forty acres. Um... Maybe one day we should look at the famous brother pairings because there have been quite a few. The Johnsons, obviously, the Formans, uh, et cetera, et cetera, and go back. We'll we'll have to we'll have to dig in the archives a little
0: bit. Shipleys, how did you forget the Shipleys?
1: Oh uh, yeah, well that's actually triplets: uh, Jordan, Jackson, and myself. Um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so maybe one day we'll have to go go look at the the greatest brother pairings. But uh, that that is my we
0: got we got a, we got to drop in there. He decided to walk on at Texas rather than taking financial aid at Pennsylvania University. Texas better than the ivy leagues
1: there's no doubting that the uh, the the ivy of the south um but but so um speaking of good and great and uh things breaking texas's way i'm calling this uh, bang the drum malcolm's plural in the middle because either way that the nfl uh big ticket super bowl game breaks there will be a longhorn named malcolm brown who is a super bowl champion now I'm actually really, really sad that the Rams' uh, running back version—I'll call him Little Malcolm—but Malikat ain't little. He's a big, big dude. But other ma- Most- other Malcom's extra, extra big. Um, so, so if Malcolm Brown's your Little Malcolm, but anyways, uh, he he unfortunately at the end of the end of the regular season had an injury. Um, C.J. Anderson kind of in a weird. Spot was the feature back, um, Gurley, I think, had five touches all, all of the game against the Saints, which is which is you know odd obviously been paying any attention to the NFL, but that would have been Malcolm Brown's carries. He was the next man up, and he was having a pretty good season, which is, like I said, really unfortunate with the injury, but nonetheless, he he still is a key contributor if they were to knock on wood, hopefully beat the Patriots then he would get a Super Bowl ring but uh, like I said on the other side from Brenham Texas and I, I don't know if you all know this but again that Malcolm Brown hails from Cibolo Texas the the, the central Texas uh, SCUC ISD shining star district of football juggernauts but uh, the other Malcolm Brown from Brenham big boy from Brenham uh has been anchoring the the Patriots team and he's kind of been underrated actually Patrick Chung um the safety for the for the Patriots uh asked uh earlier I think just week 16 or something um early December about uh who the most underrated player on the team was and he named Malcolm Brown uh, and they said why I said because he's just real good um and he doesn't Defensive lineman doesn't always get the uh, get the shout, but has been one of the most important players for the Patriots, kind of one of their unsung heroes. But Malcolm Brown has one of the most ridiculous starts to a career that anyone has ever done. Now, now his rookie years, draft drafted in 2015 season. He had to go a whole season where he didn't go to the Super Bowl. Every year since 2016, 2017, and now 2018, Malcolm Brown has played in the Super Bowl. Um, so for that, again, Big Mally, we, 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 we love you. But we're rooting, or me, I I will use I statements, I'm rooting for the Rams because I'd like uh, like little Malcolm to, to get a ring.
0: I want to travel back to a time when both of those gentlemen were playing in Burnt Orange. They were on the Texas Longhorn team at the same time. And in the infant days of the Longhorn Network, I suggested that we make them roommates and we do a sitcom starring Malcolm and Malcolm, calling called l or no l because if you don't know one of them is spelled m-a-c-o-l-m and one of them is m-a-c-o-m uh there's there's the the first l two l's or one is really what you what you have to uh you have to decipher there but no that's just a random thing that i always thought was funny but yeah you missed out on that opportunity call me i've got great LHN programming ideas. Call me. No. Um, so I'm banging the drum and bringing back an oldie but a goodie. So Pro Football Focus released its kind of final regular season rankings this week. And of all 129 defensive players drafted in the 2018 NFL Draft, none of them were the top-ranked rookies a man by the name of Puna Ford, received a 90.3 grade by Pro Football Focus. That is the highest grade among defensive rookies with at least 200 snaps. So Kyle and I said for an entire season on this podcast that there would be a general manager that looked like a genius for drafting Puna Ford. Little did we know, that, one, that GM would not draft Puna Ford, but instead sign him as an unrestricted free agent. That GM, honestly, was already known as a genius, the man by the name of John Schneider of the Seattle Seahawks. So Schneider was named the general manager of the Seattle Seahawks in January of 2010. Between... 2010 and 2014, Schneider was able to build a Super Bowl-winning team. We all know that the Seahawks won the Super Bowl in 2014. So let's drop some of our normal trivia that we normally drop earlier in the show into the Bangla Drum. So Kyle, of the entirety of the players on the championship roster in 2014, how many of them were on the Seattle Seahawks roster before Schneider showed up?
1: Ooh, and that's that's a four-year stretch
0: four-year stretch? Uh,
1: I'm literally shot in the dark. Ten.
0: Wow. Four. four players of a Super Bowl championship team existed. This man had 284 roster transactions in those four years to create a Super Bowl winning roster that actually went to the Super Bowl in back-to-back years, um, which, incredible, right? And then he did the thing where he drafted... You know guys like Puna Ford, or I guess signed Puna Ford. Earl Thomas is his doing. Russell Wilson, Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, Tyler Lockett, Doug Baldwin. He signed. Jermaine Curse is a signing of his. Uh, Jimmy Graham trade. Like the guy was already a genius, so he just went out and did what we told the world that he was going to do, which was sign the best defensive player in that in that rookie class. Came in and contributed from day one. PUNA, we love you. So glad to get to talk about you finally. I again.
1: will never get enough of uh, you saying PUNA or PUNA's a high school coach from Hilton Head interacting with us on Twitter. I love that. Shout out, coach. Hope you're listening. We're big fans. Send us some more PUNAs. Um, <laughs> no, uh, it's it, that was that's a crazy stat. That sounds like one of my FIFA career modes where I feel bad because it's unrealistic. Um, that's a lot of transactions. But the best... Transaction he ever did make was when he traded up to draft Michael Dixon.
0: They are the Northwest Longhorns. Let's just go ahead and have them change that name. Now, so that's all we've got for you this week, Kyle. Where can folks find you on the internet?
1: You can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter.
0: You can follow me on Twitter. I am at G H Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at longhorn pod. Choose an email, longhornrepublicpod at pod at com. We would love to read your tweets on the air. Hit us with a hashtag replies of Texas. At some point when there's not football drama, we will have a Rick Barnes episode. That was on a replies of Texas.
1: Yeah. That's what I was going to say is we, we, you know, this would have been, had there not been other news, a perfect week as Rick Barnes is now the coach of the number one ranked Tennessee Vols, the other UT, which is very sad to say. So we will have to get into that. And I think it'll be a fun exercise but uh sorry stuff just keeps cropping in there
0: if all of the quarterbacks didn't try to leave in one week we probably would have talked about it it was in the rundown and then it was like oh transfer news anywho you can follow me on twitter i'm at gh goodrich use an email longhunterpublicpod at gmail.com thank you so much for tuning in again this week and until next time hook them
1: hook em. no more scooters